0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Read All About It podcast. And I'm delighted to be joined on this episode by Tom Palmer, who is a children's author. He writes historical and sports fiction books, and to date he has written 53 books for children. His latest novel, Arctic Circle, is rooted in the real-life story of the Arctic convoys during the Second World War, and it was long listed for the Dudley Children's Book 2021 Award. He has also written books on subjects such as the trenches of World War One as well as novels set further back in history, well his many sports books include the Roy of the Rovers series of novels, the latest of which, Sudden Death, is out in September 2021. Before becoming an author, Tom worked with the Royal Institute for the Blind. He was also a librarian and a bookseller, and he uses his experiences of work and travel as inspiration for his writing. Tom, welcome to the Read All About It podcast. Thanks for having me on. It's good to meet you. Now, I have to say right away... I'm so impressed, that very first line I read, but to date, you've, you've written 53 books. That is, that is an impressive
1: body of work, I have to say. I know, it's, it's weird saying it, but it, it's, I suppose I've been doing it professionally for 13 years and I've just done four books a year and, and some of them are really short, you know, those sort of short reader books, you know, helping children getting into reading. So some of them have got like 500 words in them, but some of them have got a lot more.
0: Because one of the things I was going to ask you is that how, you know, obviously I'm guessing you would have, you know, wanted to become a writer full-time, you know, throughout your varied career, but what was it that made you gravitate towards writing uh, children's books?
1: I think it, that's a really good question. My first book was, at, I, I support Leeds, and it, it was called If You're Proud to Be a Leeds Fan, and it was all about being a Leeds fan, the season when it all went horrifically wrong, and um, the money stuff and the Bow Woodgate stuff and, and, and everything. And, I used to. I started going into schools to speak to older children about being a writer, just to get a bit of extra income. And one of the things we'd do, they'd tell me about what they like to read, and they'd tell me about Anthony Horowitz and um, Jacqueline Wilson and all the children's books they've read. I didn't read when I was a kid, so I was attracted to the the, the idea of these stories. So at the age of like thirty, no, thirty five plus, I was reading children's books, and I thought, this is it. I want to write stories like these. And so really, it was children recommending stuff to me that got me into it.
0: Because the other thing that struck me when you just mentioned how, you know, say you're writing four books a year and some of the books are, on, when you say only 500 words, I'm guessing because of the kind of audience that you're tailoring that for, they're 500 really specific words that you have to be skilled yeah. because
1: of the type of readership that you have to engage them, but also use the language that they'll understand and know. Yeah, absolutely. And you, so you've got to be really tight and really precise. and. The shorter the book, the harder you get edited. So, like with like with a long novel, you're you're like you'll you won't get edited like line after line after line so hard. But the shorter it gets, the more focused. And as you say, the more ability appropriate it has to be as well. And that that's hard. I find writing books that are more than twenty thousand words much easier than writing books that are two three hundred words. Definitely.
0: Yeah, because when I had a look on your your website, and obviously you, which is quite good, the way you go into some of the different not only just the novels that you've written, but just the kind of subject matter and, and what interests you and, and how even sometimes it's you know, for example, some of the sports books, it's not just a book about say football or about a different sport. You bring in all all these different I think there's one that is almost like combines football and teenage spy novel, which I just I thought that what a brilliant idea that is.
1: I love doing them, but they they bombed they bombed really badly. it was like it was supposed to be like Alex Ryder or James Bond. In the world of football and these these children were pretending to be young footballers but were actually spies for the British government but it didn't work out but I, I loved writing them was a, a good laugh but they didn't it, sell it was weird
0: Well maybe because obviously I'm, I'm older but it's, when I read that I thought I thought that's a great idea because a lot of times when, as I say when I was reading through all the different books and I'm trying to think back to when I was young and yeah. those are the sort of books that I would have really engaged with whether it was books about history about you know various aspects of either the first world war or the second world war yeah. then obviously the sports books and football books just to really give you that enthusiasm and passion for books and writing and reading
1: and make for me like that's what got me into reading was reading about what i was interested in football and not books initially but newspapers and magazines and cfax the equivalent of today's internet and and that is what got me into reading then then moving on to books but really about what you're into and what that's what I like when I go into schools and teachers and librarians use me to engage reluctant readers. And many reluctant readers are into football. I'm not saying there's a correlation, but there's a there's definitely a crossover.
0: You do realise you're, you're ageing yourself by mentioning CFAX there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like when I was at school, I wasn't engaged at all. And the only creative thing I did at school was me and my mate used to run a book of um, of who would score that week and we'd give odds, you know, like we'd give, so it'd be like two to one on for like Ian Rush, that'll date me as well. And, and like this, you know, the same, we'd, put, we'd give odds for people and we ran a book and some of the teachers used to like, like bet with us and stuff like that. They were amazed because in the class I was completely dead to it, but this, because it was football and it had my attention, it really um, engaged me. And i found like through life, if, like with, with work and with, things you do like if, if you link what you need to do to what you like to do you're going to be happier and probably more successful as well it's funny just even the, the
0: thought of a as pupils running a running a book but also the teachers getting involved in the betting I just don't know if that would happen nowadays I'm not
1: sure it would the geography teacher was obsessed <laughs> <laughs> We're, we used to stitch him up every anyway
0: <laughs> I obviously have to I mean I have to confess that that one of the reasons that I, I was wanting to speak to you was, and I mentioned it in the introduction, the, the Roy the Rovers series of books. As, as someone who grew up reading Roy the Rovers comics uh, when I was wee, I was totally obsessed with them. I loved them. And there's been a kind of resurgence. There's the kind of graphic novels, but you're writing a series of novels. I've read the first three of them. And whether I have to say to people, whether you're a young reader, or whether you've, you're listening and you've got younger children that would want to read it, or even as an adult, I can't recommend them highly enough. They're so engaging, even just as, a, as an adult reader.
1: Oh, cheers. That's brilliant. Thank you. That's I love doing them. And the characters, I, I really, I, I like writing about a footballer. I like it that I'm doing a footballer, but he's not just a footballer. He's, it's about his dad and his mum and his sister, and it's about him. And read, reading footballers' biographies and just reading between the lines about, because obviously they're these big fancy sort of footballers who everyone looks at as as superstars but they've got mums and dads they've got problems we've all got problems with our with our families and so footballers and to to tie that into it into their lives and especially with his family and this because we've made them his dad's really ill his mum is doing like scratching around doing any job she can get and then I base some of the stories on um on real footballers so Raheem Sterling's written and spoken a lot about when he was a kid, his mum used to clean banks and all sorts of jobs, and um, just because there wasn't a dad around, just to get some money into to support the family. I go to stories like that, and because you don't really need to make it up, in, in a lot of cases. I really I like grounding it in real, real footballers.
0: And and I'm guessing, like probably like a lot of your other books, and, and as I say, just from even touching on what you're writing in, in your website, is those books. It's more than just the story of a of a young promising footballer who, who wants to make it as a professional footballer. As you say, there's family issues. You know, you even go into the whole idea of girls and women in football and access for them to play. He's also the characters of 16. So there's also that sense of finding himself as a kind of young adult and possible romance and stuff. There's just so much going on in the books that I think for young readers, I'm not sure what age group those sort of books are, are aimed for, but I'd imagine they're really engaging to that readership.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I suppose they're written for nine plus. Although the new one, which I've not got with me, which is coming out later, as you as you kindly said, that's a bit older. They're twice as long, and there's tougher themes in it. Um, so that'll be book seven, Sudden Death, and that I really like that. I like taking them a bit older, like J.K. Rowling took the Harry Potter books the older. We're doing the same with Roy, and like you say, his sister Rocky, she was just supposed to be like she was supposed to be an annoying little sister who would. And Roy, Roy had like played, score a goal, he'd win the game for his team, he'd come home to his family. And then his sister would be nicking his sausages off his plate. And it was, you know, it was supposed to like show that a footballer's more than just what you see on the pitch. and But she's grown like almost taken control of it herself and become a player. And now, like, my books go Roy, Rocky, Roy, Rocky, because this was the best, in its first six months, this was the best seller and best performer. Because, I don't know, because people want to read about um, female footballers as well as male footballers, which is great.
0: Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's a, it's an indication of the advance in terms of football in the 21st century. You know, I was asking you there what those, what age group those books are targeted. So in terms of every time you, you go to start a new book, whether it is a book about sport or whether, you know, you tap into a lot of your historical interests, yeah. do you have a specific Age group in mind, or do you start writing the story and, and then that comes to you? you Think, well, that's going to be aimed at this such and such an age
1: group, or I definitely have an, an age group in mind. I, I sort of thinking um, in England, it's year five to year eight, so I think is that I can't remember what it is in Scotland. It's sort of like it's sort of age nine to 12, 13 and then um, and that that's where I sort of target them really. And there's, I suppose, the reason for that is I think it's where I'm my strongest rather than writing younger ones and I don't think I'm very good at writing teen fiction at all I've tried and failed at that but also it's where it's where school visits come from if if I write for older primary school and younger high school I'm going to get more bookings in schools and to be honest the books I don't make loads of money out of them the money actually visiting schools is better so the only reason I'm a published author still, and I've done those 53 books, is because I visit schools, and that's where I get the best income from. Um, so I do think of that when I'm writing, and like with the with the history ones, I think of what they're studying, in you know when they're 10, 11, 12, and I write about those those topics as well.
0: Also, I think that that kind of age group that you're aiming at, I think that's absolutely key to because obviously when you're when you're wee and most people maybe their, their parents might read to them. And then they start to maybe, once they learn to read themselves at school, but then it's trying to engage them on their own to read. And then once they get to like late primary school, early high school, there is There is always that sense of there's other distractions. They start to change and, and have other interests. So if you can get that group engaged in reading, you've kind of created
1: readers for life, hopefully. I think so, yeah. Because like you say, the competition, when I was a kid, like video games were just coming out and there, it was like that tennis one where it boop. Beep, beep sort of one, um, but now I mean the video games are so amazing now. You've got to write a really good book to, to make someone want to stop doing that, haven't you? Yeah, selling, this, selling my my profession down the river, but
0: because I well, to be fair, I always uh, slightly nostalgic for for example for Subutio, which for me was the greatest game ever invented. But yeah, yeah. try telling that to someone who's playing FIFA twenty one. No, be <laughs> there is no <laughs> there's no competition there. No, there's not. In terms of the podcast. Obviously, what I like to do is take people on the, the literary journey of their life and go back to your childhood and start there and ask you for your favourite book from childhood. You've kind of already touched on the fact of you said that you, you're not a reader and when you gave me your answer, it wasn't a, a book, but it was anything that you could read and get your hands on about Leeds United. your a football team in the local newspaper.
1: Yeah, it was. And it, it was like the Yorkshire Evening Post and um, there's a guy called Don Waters who used to write the match previews and match reports transfer speculation I'd read everything he wrote but I'd also like I'd, I'd also read C-Fax. every page on cfax and, and teletext I'd read every page on it and so I was I was seeking out reading but I was I didn't see myself as a reader I wasn't reading like C.S. Lewis and all that that my sister was reading sort of three books a day and, and I saw myself as rubbish at reading but actually I was reading what I wanted to know and and then, like, the, there was Roy of the Rovers, but there was other, those Shoot, there was Match Weekly, and it sort of grew from there. And eventually Don Waters, the guy who wrote the Leeds United stuff in the paper, he wrote a book, History of the Club. That was the first book I finished that I actually wanted to.
0: Because I think it's, that kind of goes, for me, when you're saying that, it almost goes to the heart of what you're doing now, is that, A, you're writing either the books you want to read or the books you wanted to read. But yeah. you, that, the audience you're aiming for... Hopefully that's what they want to be reading as well. I hope so,
1: yeah. And I do, I do I go into schools a lot and I ask them what they like and what they want and I read what they like and I try and learn because I think one of, one of my issues is all the time I've been an author, I've had a child living in the house with me, but she's 18 in a couple of months. So, I'm, you know, and, and being in touch with children, I've got to carry on doing that or I'll just, I'll go I'll, I'll go off very quickly. So I do, I do like to find out what they like to read and what they like about my books and what they don't like as well. I'm guessing that they are a very honest and forthright audience. Yeah. In fact, I, do, I test the books out. So I'll for write a book about a specific thing, I'll send it to a school that's like, the book I'm writing now is set in Holland. And there's a school in an English speaking school in Holland that are going to read it and check it out, check it out for me. And They'll tell me what I've got wrong and like you say, they'll be really blunt and that's great. I mean, that's priceless market yeah. research for want of a better phrase. Yeah, and you can you can iron out all the the boring bits or the bits that just don't make sense or the character you don't believe, their motivation and the kids will just say, I don't know why he did that. It doesn't make sense. And you're thinking, oh man, I've got to sort it out. Uh,
0: that's a brilliant idea. The other thing yeah. that, that struck me, and again, from talking to some people on this podcast of we've we'll spoke often about so some people, for example, I, I prefer the physical book, the hard copy. Yeah. Other people will read Kindle. Other people are, are now listening to audio books. So in a sense, going back to what, you know, you, at the time you are maybe thinking, I'm not really a reader. But as you say, you're reading newspapers, you're reading facts, So you are actually
1: reading. You're just doing it in a different format from what people yeah. think you should. Absolutely. And there is, there was, and there still is snobbery around reading about football. In this country, it's weird. It's okay to read about rugby union and cricket, but it's not. It's still not okay to read about football. And generally, in the UK, I think there's definitely um, a snobbery towards it. And it's madness because in America, like sports writing is revered. One of my pet hates is, or not pet hates as such, but
0: one of the things I always think is, even as for adults, there's not enough good football fiction. And to your point, you know, I can think of books i've read about baseball and other american sports that are actually brilliant novels and yeah, they just use yeah. and i think what you know what you're doing with your books for that specific audience i also think there's you know more authors but i i think it kind of goes to the heart of what you just said is that there is there is really a snobbery because football's seen as a you know a working
1: class sport maybe yeah i bought it in school I, I I spent i was in a school in hull i spent an hour convincing reluctant readers to read about football and they were up for it, you know, they are engaged with it, and they were starting to see themselves as readers to an extent. And then the teacher at the end said, when are you going to write some proper books? And the whole room went, oh, my God. And if that was at the beginning of my career, if it had been now, I'd have have called her out, definitely.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean,
1: a teacher should know better than to say something like that. Also, to be fair, most of them, most of them do. Most of them are on on message, but that one,
0: <laughs> yeah. And also, plus the fact, given, I mean, as I said, I've read some of your Roy Rovers books. As all good novels are, it's more than just about the football. You know, that's just as I say, that's the, st- the structure that you hang the story on. But it's about the characters and the interaction and what's going on in their life. So, um,
1: absolutely, yeah, agree.
0: You mentioned there that you'd so you the first book you actually read was the history of Leeds United. Did that then get you into more reading or was that something that just evolved over a period of time?
1: Yeah, I started looking out for more football stuff and I found books like about biographies. I remember I read Jimmy Greaves' autobiography, This One's On Me, which wasn't about football. It was about his alcoholism. And I was about 17 and it and I just started drinking, you know, right at that, at that time. I was just getting into drinking and drinking. Um, I read this book about alcoholism and I found it really helpful because of how he was, you know, he was really, you know, stuffed for a while, Jimmy Greaves with his drinking. And and then I read a book called Football Against the Enemy by Simon Cooper, yeah. which is an amazing book. I think you know that that um, it's about animosities in football and countries that have been at war with each other. So like Holland, Germany, what happens when they play football? There's a chapter about Celtic Rangers, isn't there, in And then that made me read history books and travel books, and you spread out. I still read football, but I read more broadly because there's so much to read about. Like you said, like linking football to to other things.
0: Because funny that that book, Football Against the Enemy, which is an absolutely brilliant book.
1: Yeah. Really
0: for for me, the one chapter that jars is the Celtic Rangers <laughs> chapter because I think because I've got my own views yeah. and perceptions of that rivalry has been part of it. So obviously, yeah. it, it's an interesting perspective from somebody from the outside comes in. You're never, quite, you're never quite convinced by it.
1: No, but I just, I remember reading, I remember particularly the Germany-Holland one and how, what it was like, because the Dutch was treated awfully, as loads of people, we know that, by the Germans just really badly. They were starved and it was horrendous and um, they're right on the border with them. And when, you know, playing football, a lot of things came out. Because I think the, is the
0: cover for that book not, is it Reichard spitting on, or is it Rudi Voller spitting on Reichard? Yeah,
1: you're right, yeah, that's it, yeah. Uh, I think
0: it was Rikard that did that, that, that the spitting, wasn't it?
1: I think, I think, I think so. Yeah, but that's part, part of the chapter. But Simon Cooper's part Dutch, isn't he? And um, I think that was a personal one for him. In
0: terms of then taking you on from your childhood, then on to the kind of teenage formative years, and interestingly, given you know, from as you said, growing up reading more newspapers and anything to do with football, the book you've chosen in terms of the, this category, it's a, a weighty tome, uh, which is. Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. How did you come to that book and what age were you when you read it? Oh
1: God, I don't know. Um, when I got into reading about 17, 18, I started reading. and one of, one of the reasons is I got really pretentious and I would only read books with people with fancy names. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't read books by like Sam Smith or Julian Jones or something like that. I'd want to read books by like, Mahood Mafoos and um you know and Theodore Dostoevsky. So that was one thing. But my dad, when, when I was 21, died, he had what Roy's dad's got in the books. And when he died, he he loved books. He had loads of books. And um I went and just read lots of books off his shelves and crime and punishment was was one of them. And um I loved it. And it was really it was really hard. It's massive. It was like 700 pages, and but it's about this young man who's like really wound up and um basically he doesn't know how to behave so he goes and murders some people and he has to work out why he's murdered them in the rest of the book with the help of other characters and it's just it's like sitting on the edge of a cliff or on like on a bridge and you're about to plummet down it's just like the whole 700 pages of of psychological tension and I loved it and by then I'd built up my reading stamina so I could handle it by reading longer football books and that book led me to all sorts of it led me into wanting to read other European fiction and, and I ended up going to university when I was twenty two, reading foreign literature in translation, including Crime and Punishment. And it was great. And it was all part of the journey from from reading about football to reading about history to reading about different cultures. And that that was all part of it. It was great. And what what an adventure reading can be.
0: Because I actually that's a book that must have taken me I think about five or six attempts to read it. And I was, because I had a friend of mine who, I think it's his favourite book and every couple of years he reads it again. So he would always talk about it, you know, that way I I need to eventually find out what this is all about. And I used to get stuck with uh, the Russian names and there's about 10 different variations to the same character, which used to confuse me. Me The only problem was I I got to the end and then I was, I was a wee bit, I have to be honest, I was a wee bit underwhelmed by it, having taken all this time to, I'm glad I finished it, but it's, yeah, it was a,
1: it was a struggle. Bit of a for me. Yeah, the end. I, I found the end disappointing because it's, it's not what. You, well, it depends on your on your beliefs and how you live your life. But it didn't. It, it sort of disappointed me as well.
0: Also goes to the heart of that, which is one of the things I really love about books. Is you know you can give the same book to two different people. You and I could read yeah. the same book and have completely different reactions to it. Which is, yeah.
1: which I think is brilliant. I do as well. And it's, it's, There's so much in it, isn't there? That it's like a conversation when you meet someone. You like, you'll have like two friends who don't get on. And I do, and I, I really like both of them, but they just don't get on with each other. It's the same thing. There's so many little personal nuances, one, aren't there?
0: And I do, I always try to, you know, the occasionally when you have books that you're really, you're really invested in, I always yeah. just have to tell myself not to judge anybody who doesn't love them as much as me. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I, I get that with Wuthering Heights. I love Wuthering Heights. I really love it. My wife hates it. And I'm like, come on, but anyway.
0: I'm not sure if part of the reason I'm not a big fan is because I'm not a big fan of that Kate Bush song, so.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. The other thing you just mentioned there, and again, I, I touched on it in the introduction that you use a lot of your own life experiences, whether that was in terms yeah. of work or travel, to inform your writing. And, and you obviously mentioned that Roy, the Rovers' dad, he had the same things your own dad had before he passed away. Is, is that sort of thing that helps you in a way in terms of either dealing with it these things but also maybe just giving it that authenticity
1: yeah both yeah definitely I think if you can draw on stuff you've experienced like like in um in Ghost stadium and um, basically someone gets possessed and his mates have to deal with him appearing to be possessed I was with someone who I knew who appeared or said she was possessed by something and when I was about 20 and it it scared the hell out of me. And I just, I've just, I've used it in, in, in there and and it's the same thing. And so like, definitely, if you've been there, you know you know what I think I'm doing. A, I, I'm really pleased with how I'm describing Roy and Rocky's dad being ill, being disabled and how they're carers for him and how it feels. You know, you want to care for your dad, but you want to go out and live your life as well. And it's, it's not just oh, sitting around thinking, oh, this is awful, this is awful. You kind of have to live with it and it, it's normal. And in the next book, Sudden Death, It reaches sort of a a crisis point without giving too much away. And um, that, like you say, that was really cathartic for me. I've written, in all the books, I'm always writing about dads. I'm writing about good dads, bad dads, this, dad, that, dad. But I've never written about my dad and what happened to him, but I have now. And um, it felt good. I mean, it was 33 years ago. It was a long time ago, but it felt really good writing about how I felt when my dad died. And I think writing, writing is good like that because it, it can make you explore your emotions and feel better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The, the book that you mentioned there, Ghost Stadium, is yeah. that the
1: one where you camped overnight in the, in the is, what, what stadium was it? The that... It was Wrexham Stadium. So I knew someone who worked there and I just, I, I needed to know what it was like to be in a football stadium on your own all night in a tent for a ghost story and then. Um, he gave me the keys and I had the whole run of the stadium, I had the keys. So I was in the corridors and the toilets and I was everywhere on my own and on the pitch and just trying to freak myself out to give myself material. The book. I mean, and it's weird, like people will let you do a lot. If you say, oh, I'm writing a book about this. I've been around like um, a morgue. I've been around the engine room of a cruise ship. I've done all these things. If you just say like, oh, I'm writing a book about it. Then, oh, come this way, please. Uh, it's, it's great.
0: There are people listening to this with no intention of writing a book are going to use that line. Do it,
1: do it. You can go anywhere.
0: Because <laughs> I was thinking that would be, I mean, I've been in like inside the, the bows of Celtic Park late at night, but there are a lot of people there. But I, I'd imagine those stadiums, I mean, you're the only person there and every every noise is amplified. It must have been a bit spooky.
1: It was, it was a bit, but not as much as I wanted it to be. There was a seagull sat right at the back of the equivalent of the cop was screaming all night and just so annoying but anyway good I think it was good for the senses it was like like you say what you can hear but when it's dark and you don't know what's going on your senses are like 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 enhanced aren't they? and that I think that helped me describe how the characters felt. And were you even at that time were you taking notes or were you just like speaking
0: you know notes so that you'd remember it later?
1: Yeah I took notes and I took a few photos and um, and I discovered that, um, you know, the hole where they put the corner flag. Um, yeah. That's really just the perfect size for a bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> with, with cold water in it, it's a really good
0: wine. we <laughs> Well, listen, that is, you may have been the first person to have discovered that.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All these groundsmen that will suddenly come in one morning, <laughs> there's empty bottles of wine in their corner yeah. flags.
1: Perfect. It just, you- goes, it just goes in really neatly.
0: Well, you're listening to the Read All About It podcast with me Paul Cuddy and my guest Tom Palmer and Tom we're on to the third question and it's a book that you would recommend to anyone this is always a difficult category because how do you choose one book to recommend to anyone or everyone and I know you've kind of avoided going down that road because it's it's such a difficult thing to try and pin you down to say right, recommend a book to everyone here
1: uh, Yeah I sort of dodged it haven't I um, <laughs> But I suppose I wouldn't I, – like, I'll I'd, like, I'd be in a class full of children and they'll they'll say, like, what – they've said that question to me before and I couldn't – because, like, like, you say, like, there's a book, like, you have such different reactions to, to a book, and I could say, I'll read this, this is great, and and people will hate it. Like, I send books to my best mate, I send him books that I've read that I think are really good because I'm not that bothered about holding on to them, and sometimes it's like, why? You know, what, this is rubbish. What I say to the kids is, like, I'll sit you know – what are you into? What's your hobby? What do you like? Because you you know you, you could Jimmy Greaves' autobiography or Crime and Punishment. They're very different. Well, actually, there's a lot of similarities thinking about it. But, um, <laughs> but so it's like getting the right. I think the right book for the right person. Because that was. I think part of the problem is when I was a kid, I was given like books about wizards and magic, and and then I was given a book about identifying butterflies, and I didn't want them, and I just felt rubbish i felt like i was a failure because these books meant nothing to me and oh but this book's wonderful like loads of children love it but i don't and it's that books are used sometimes books make you feel rubbish don't they and then because you're not interested in them, you feel like you've failed because you've not not read them but so i'm gonna dodge it sorry
0: well actually what just struck me there when you were just talking and i wonder if this goes back to your life as a bookseller, because the best, yeah. either best librarians or best booksellers, if you ask that question, can you recommend a book? They just do what you ex- you just did. Was that checklist yeah. of what you're interested in, what kind of things do you like?
1: So I don't know if that's maybe your your grounding as a as a bookseller. That's it that's probably where that comes is. From. And part to be honest, part of my training as a library worker definitely was to to not say this is the book you must read, but to to engage with the reader or the potential reader and see what they're into and then know enough about books to to recommend something yeah so yeah definitely I was actually I was I was actually trained to that was one of the things we got trained to do
0: because I suppose the the difficulty sometimes is you know the reason why you've maybe not picked a single book because what you do is if somebody says to me I pick what my favorite books are and as we already said if you and I read the same book we might have a totally different reaction so it's what interests me might not interest and I think like I give books and book recommendations to to friends, but it's only because I know the kind of over the years, you know the kind of books that they would like and the kind of subject matter and writers. So you're yeah. kind of almost in safe ground that way. Because I see there's there's one or two books where that are particular favourites of mine and you know, if I do give them to somebody, I'm just thinking you you better like this. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, it, Cause I wonder if as a as a writer, is it a question either obviously when you go into schools, kids are asking you that, but to friends or family or whatever
1: is it sort of things that they're, they're asking you as well, even now? No, that it's weird. It just doesn't come up. It's just not a thing in my family. And I kind of like it to be, I kind of like it. You know, like in your family, you want people to make a fuss for you, but it just, it just, it just doesn't happen. Maybe, maybe not, that just keep, that. That keeps you grounded. Yeah, that's what I definitely think. I I think I'm really lucky, particularly my wife and daughter, who I share this house with, that uh, they will like definitely keep me grounded and, I really, really want to be grounded. I want to be, I want to be a grounded person because I've met authors who aren't. When I was a bookseller and when I worked in library, I've met authors who thought there was something special that they were better because they wrote a book. That's the last thing I'd want to be. So
0: yeah,
1: I'm, I'm lucky. I've got my wife. Definitely is is really good at um keeping it, keeping a lid on on me. <laughs>
0: yeah, in terms of your, because this is always a question that I'm always curious about as a parent myself, and I. You know, and I apologise to everybody listening to this because I've told this story before about my kids. So my oldest daughter reads sometimes. My other daughter reads voraciously and my son, who's the youngest, doesn't really read at all and books aren't for him. I have absolutely no problem with that because his interests and my interests are different because he that's what, he, what he's chosen. He'll read it in other things, newspapers or whatever. But I know some people who, the idea that their kids wouldn't be big readers and love books, they, they, they're horrified. My interests are my interests in and has it hers?
1: Yeah, my daughter read voraciously till she was about 12. And since then, she's barely read at all. And, and she, she might come back to it, she might not, but I'm not going to put pressure on because it do not feel good, does it, when you've got pressure on you? And I think, and I think we talk and we watch, we watch films and stuff like that. It's, it's a very similar process and um, it's about ideas and empathy. And yeah, I'm, I'm not bothered either. I'm glad my mum didn't with me either. She didn't. She encouraged me to read the football newspapers, she didn't say, why aren't you reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? You know, here, why don't you read? Why don't you read like the latest much report on Leeds? I'll depress you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing as well is that you have to, because I think when we all go
0: through those teenage years, whether it's books or, or music or whatever, that's how you, you forge your own identity, because you start yeah. to develop tastes that, that sometimes split away from what
1: your yeah. parents might have liked or wanted to encourage you to do. But that's part of growing up. Definitely. And my, yeah, and with, with my daughter, music's the thing, definitely. Playing it and, and listening to it, and it's fascinating. I think music's amazing now for that generation, because with Spotify and that, she's listening to stuff from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s now, and it's it's great. It's really rich, and um, I'm getting a lot from her, and her music taste now. It's good. Cause somebody told me, and it was a brilliant thing they said about music is
0: they were saying for them it's the closest thing you can get to time travel because you can listen to particularly music that you go back to see when you were a teenager. You listen to a piece of music, suddenly you're 16 again, which is amazing.
1: It is, isn't it? But you're right, yeah,
0: it's true. Now, in terms of, the usually it's the, the other side of the coin from either books that you would recommend to people that you like, then... It's going to a book that I couldn't pay you to read again, and you have given me a choice for this one. And the book that you've given me is a book called *The Prophet* by Khalil Gibran. And what is it about this book that I couldn't pay you to read again?
1: Right. So I, I mean, if people love it, it's great. But like with music, like what exactly what you've just been saying about music is the same with me in that book, right? I'm, I'm keep talking about death. Sorry, but it's part of life, isn't it? So the night my mother died, my sister came into my room and insisted on reading <laughs> reading the whole of that book to me it's like a poem about spirituality and a, you know and all that sort of thing and it was like it was like um I hated every word of it and I wanted her to go away because I wanted to think about my mum being dead and not have my sister read this thing to me the even funnier thing was like um when she got married she asked me to do a reading guess what she chose <laughs> so this was like this was like a Good five, six years after my mum died, and she made me read that in front of everybody <laughs> so no i'm not i'm not reading that ever
0: so what what age would you have been you know when your mum passed away when your sister read that um twenty four
1: yeah, so she died about three or four years after my dad
0: so i take it i I'm, I'm guessing mm-hmm. that your sister was doing that almost for herself, and you just had, you were the audience that had to listen
1: to it i suppose yeah i don't know I don't know she, she yeah um. I should be careful. Yeah, yes, she was. Have you, ever, have you ever told her how much you dislike that book? No. <laughs> That's how she didn't listen to the
0: <laughs> That's often quite a difficult question for people because yeah. sometimes it depends what kind of reader you are because a lot of people, if you're not enjoying a book, you put it away, so you, you never get that kind of really negative reaction a lot of times. And then other people, don't. you don't really want to... And especially writers don't often like to denigrate
1: another writer's work. Yeah, that's true, yeah. No, no, I, I did get to the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Maybe I should tell her. <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I should take it. I'll leave it, I'll
0: leave it. I, either that or just send her the link to this podcast and then just and then just count down until she phones you.
1: Listen to it in 42 minutes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, in terms of your... You obviously have mentioned already you're prolific in terms of your writing. Do you read a lot at the same time as well?
1: Yeah, and I read a lot for each book I'm writing. I read like voraciously around that subject. So biographies and like histories and background stuff. So like recently, like James Milner's autobiography, Ennio Lugo's autobiography and reading books like that. And um, But I'll read other stuff as well. Like I've been reading that mate who I send books to, he sends books to me. And, um, I read stuff he sends me he's he, he nails it every time he's really he sends me really good books, and I let you learn all the time like i'm i've just i don't know why I've never read it before I've just been reading um Fahrenheit four five one by um is it Ray Bradbury? I think yeah. it is, isn't it um which is a book about this book burner, basically whose job it is to burn books in this I'm not quite sure what's future society and the the way he's written it is weird he's doing summer, and I don't know. It's making me feel really uneasy and a bit stressed, and I don't, I can't work out what he's doing with his sentences or his juxtapositions and all that. I'm going to read it, and I might read it again just to work it out because you want to learn all the time, don't you? You, you want to try and become a better, better writer, and the best way to become a better writer is to read, isn't it?
0: Because actually, there's a, there's a kind of, I think, must have been a classic 1960s adaptation of that book, but more recently, th- I'm not sure if it was HBO did a two or
1: three-part series, which was yeah. absolutely brilliant. I watched that after I read it. Strange book. Yeah. But I love yeah. it. I love I love being surprised and just, like, stunned by a book because I think the more you read, the less you are suddenly struck by a book, maybe because you, you've been attracted to the ones that are likely to shock you and that. But it's brilliant when you find one. And I go, I go out of my way to try and find books that are not what I'm used to reading, because every writer is so different, and then and you can learn. It's not just about learning how to be a better writer. You can. I love that book sat on my bedside table, and I'm going to give the dog a walk after this interview, and then I'm going to go and read. it And I can't wait because it, it's an exciting experience when you're reading a book that you're enjoying.
0: In terms of your, how you read, obviously, if you're, you're it's a book you're enjoying, you can't wait to get back
1: to it. Do you finish every book you start, or if you're you're not enjoying it, you put it down and go and read something? I'll put it down and i like if I'm not enjoying it um I'll put it down unless I've got unless I really need to read it for work or unless so you, you can read books I read books, and if they're really not good and I can't work out why I'll keep reading them. I've just read recently a book, a football story, and it's not very good and it's it's deeply flawed and it's unbelievable the context of the football world in it is unbelievable, and the use of metaphors is distracting, not enhancing. And it's I read it all because I wanted to work out why and I noticed some of the mistakes the author was making some of the things that I do. And I was thinking, I'm not going to do that again because this is making me feel like, what's that? What's that all about? And so I will usually I ditch a book, but again, like i sometimes I'll keep reading it just to learn mistakes that I didn't realise I could be making as well. Cause it
0: kind of goes to the heart of at the very the basic of what any writer the two bits of advice any writer's given is you need to write and you need to read. Yeah, kind of takes us on to the last question in the podcast, which is either the last book you read or the book you're currently reading, and it's the the Diary of a Young Girl and Frank's Diary, which I believe you're that's part of, of research for, for a project that you're, you're working on.
1: Yes, yes, I'm work I'm working on a book at the moment that I'm not allowed my publisher will not let me talk about it, and um, it's but it's it's about a girl in Holland basically during the Second World War and. So I thought right I'll read and Frank she had some similar but mostly different experiences to the character in in my book. So I read it just to get a flavor of what a girl that age what her mentality would be like what she would be into during the German occupation of, of Holland in the Second World War and it absolutely astonished me. She was like 13 14 15 and had her, her understanding of like people of like the, of human beings and why they do something. And her her dark, like really dark sense of humor, and she like they're trapped in this, as everybody knows, they're trapped in this annex, like hidden away from the Nazis. And there's times when some of the characters, the people she's in there with, she hates them, and then she really loves them. And the way she characterizes people, I've I can't think of any author I've ever read who's so effective at characterizing people, making you really feel like you know the character. And this is a child who was writing it, a child who was being you know, hidden away from, from the world. Amazing book. And it it blew me away. It just absolutely blew me away that a child like 75 plus years ago could write such striking characters. It was amazing.
0: Because I don't know if, I mean, I think it's sold over, at least over 30 million copies. It's been translated into to countless languages. I mean, I remember we, I can't remember what year it was when we were in school that we would have got that to read. I'm yeah. hoping that people would still that schools will still be recommending and teaching that, and, and getting yeah. kids to read it and, and study
1: it at, because it's such an important book about an important yeah. subject. It's just amazing. But and you, you just because I I thought I was thought like I'd read it before, but I was thought oh this is an important book because of it is a diary of a child during that period, and there weren't that many accounts that that survived and um, in such detail. But it's more than that. It's um, it's a breathtaking piece of writing. And I didn't realise that until I read it this this second time.
0: The other thing as well is that you know, like you get different
1: perspectives on a book depending on even just what age you are when you did it. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's a good point because I'm looking at it not from a twenty something year old's point of view, but fifty something year old's point of view. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, good point.
0: If you wait long enough in the, the podcast, I eventually managed to find one good point in the whole <laughs> podcast. So I'm chuffed. <laughs> Again, going back to, you know, you'd mentioned earlier on, have you got simultaneous projects on the go at the, the same time and are just constantly writing on, on various subjects?
1: Yeah, so I've got, I've, I've finished that one about the Dutch girl and um, that's with my editor now and she's reading it. Um, she's supposed to be getting back to me later this week and I'm planning the next Roy the Rovers book, which is from Rocky's point of view. And then I'll, I sort of leapfrog them. So you've got like the planning researching stage and the first draft and then the later drafts and I, I try and leave gaps in between them if the publishers let me, just because then you're coming back to it fresh. Because once you've been doing something for a few weeks, it's like with anything, isn't it? You if you come away from it and go back to it, you, you can do it better if you've had a break from it.
0: And I think people are always curious as well of where the ideas come from. Because again, even if people just take a cursory glance at your website, there's a real breadth of subjects that you've tackled or you've set your your stories within a, a certain time and is that just something that excites you as well that you know tomorrow morning you could wake up and you hear something
1: or you see something you go, that would be a great setting or a, a great idea for a book. I do definitely and I probably have like I probably have one a week, one idea a week and I think oh, this is it, this is the one that's gonna get a film deal and like I'm gonna be I'm gonna win the, the whatever book prize. But like like usually either after a week I just think ah oh, no that's not a good idea or or I'll run them by my wife sometimes. And, and even before she responds, you sort of think, oh, know, this isn't such a good idea after all. <laughs> but the history books, I won't take on a, a subject unless she's really into it as well. I can gauge that like that her and, and my mate, if they're really into it, then it's a winner because they're really honest with me. And they've guided me like the last few I've done of the history books of, I mean, they're not bestsellers or anything, but they've sold better than my other books have. And, They've been better received, and that's. I think that's down to me testing the ideas out first. So, would your wife be your first reader then, as well? Yeah, or or my mate, depending on who I send it to. Them both at the same time, and depending on which one can be bothered to to do it Cause, first.
0: Because I always think that's an interesting from their perspective. I don't know if that yeah. puts pressure on them because it, because you're giving it to them because you want them to be honest and give you that feedback. Yeah. Because because if they just tell you how brilliant everything is. That's not how you how you learn. But at the same time, from their point of view, you're thinking, oh, got, "I really hope I enjoy this."
1: Yeah, with my mate, it's because he's my mate, it's fine, and there's no trouble. But I think when my wife is brutally honest for two or three days, I'm a bit cross with her, <laughs> and then I come round to and start to come round to it. But it's weird, like. But with with she's probably listening to, so, and, and, and with my mate, I'm, I'm I sort of take it on the chin. Like he's my football coach or something like that. But the wife it's more personal. But in the end, I'll I'll fight my corner if I really disagree with it and I'll roll over if she's if she's right.
0: <laughs> also kind of what you were just saying, that maybe you've what you've done is you've not stumbled upon, but that idea that if, if you think the books are getting better and, and doing better as a result of mm. you've got this good sounding board even before you start yeah. to send it to editors, etc. And yeah. other readers that the two people who are honest because
1: just simply because they want you to write the best book that you can. And also like if, if I send stuff to an editor untested, I'm less likely to get book deals because she'll she'll get sick of me sending her half baked ideas. But because I rigorously test it out with my wife and my mate and others other people sometimes it, it means that they're getting relatively good material. So there's it's less desperate for them as an editor thinking how am I going to bang this into shape. So, yeah, so I think it's really good having that. So, and I would say anyone writing a book, like before you send it to an editor, get people who, who will be honest with you to, to help you make it as good as you can because an editor's looking for a reason to say no because that's their job. And so you've got to make it really good to present it to them first.
0: Do you ever think back, given the fact you've now to date written 53 books, there's, they said, new you know, the reverse book is coming out, you've got other books. Think back to, to that wee guy who... Didn't really read books, but just read newspapers about Leeds United, and probably never thought at that time that one day I'm going to be writing all these books that people are going to be reading.
1: Yeah, it's weird, but I I see the journey. I see the journey, and I see how it's possible. Because I I was in a school today, and some of the kids like said they didn't like reading, or they were they struggled with reading, and and it it was like like it's just what you're interested in. it, It can take you on a journey if you if you let it and 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 also like that whole thing like saying I'm not a reader I hate reading and defining because outside forces are persuading you that you are not a reader and but actually I was I was reading everything on Facts, everything in the Yorkshire evening post everything in the Leeds United match program that I wanted to read everything that was for me I would read voraciously but I never said to myself I love reading I said I hate reading and it's it's down to the people around you and how they encourage you as well, I think. And that is why when I go into schools, I'm like, like, what are you into? What what do you want to read? What are you interested in? There's always something. There might be other barriers like dyslexia and reading stamina and other issues, but there's ways There's ways around it in, in 99.9% of the cases.
0: And you kind of touched on it earlier on that maybe you were lucky that you said your mum was just constantly giving you... Not books, but things that she knew you were interested in in terms of yeah. Leeds United. It's all down to them. Well, Tom, sadly, we're, we're almost at the end of the, the podcast. I have to say, we've managed to go through a whole podcast and I've managed to avoid mentioning that fantastic victory Celtic had over Leeds United in the 1969 <laughs> European <laughs> Cup semi final. So I feel quite well, tough yeah, I don't, for myself.
1: I don't, I don't remember that one.
0: <laughs> but I have to say, I've loved chatting to you about the books. You too, I, I, yeah, I, me too. Yeah. I said right at the start, I mean, as somebody who grew up reading the Royal Rovers comics, when I stumbled upon the fact that you were writing these books, and as I say, I've read the first three, I, I genuinely can't recommend them highly enough. Whether you're a child, the, the parent of the children, or somebody like me who just wants that wee bit of nostalgia, but they're more than just nostalgia. They're, I think they're really brilliant stories with really dead interesting Thank characters. You. And, and uh, I, I wish you every success with that and, and all your Thank other you books very as well. Much. That's much appreciated. Thanks for listening to the Read All About It podcast and I'd love to hear what you thought about it. You can get in touch via Twitter at about 20 on Instagram at ReadAllAboutItPodcast or you can send an email to ReadAllAboutIt at PaulCuddehy.com If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddehy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading.